I demand a trial by combat. This is Let's Get Liddy Read Along, GOT edition. Escape into the land of Westeros each week as we travel through the Seven Kingdoms. Which house will prevail and rule the Iron Throne or gain its independence? Is a bigger evil really lurking beyond the wall? With decade-long summers and even longer winters, grab your favorite drink, sit back, and relax because reading is coming. Welcome back to Let's Get Liddy Read Along, Game of Thrones edition. Uh, welcome back, everybody. It's the weekend. We made it through another week, which means another chapter or two. Um, tonight's drink is a little bit of Costco Captain and Dr. Pepper. Um, we're getting Liddy on this one. So about every other episode, we're going non-alcoholic, alcoholic, um, just to keep switching it up. Uh, word of the week this week is going to be the North. So anytime you hear the North, take a drink. I'm not going to spend too much time blopping, so we can hopefully get through two chapters today. Um, as you can see, we have a video background this week um, because I'm wearing the hat since we are negative degrees here in Iowa. It's like negative 12, feels like negative 20. Um, so just staying warm, staying inside. Um, I can't do the video zoom backgrounds when I'm not wearing a hat or something because my hair is so curly and poofy and so blonde and light that anytime I put a zoom background on I literally just like bald it cuts like everything off and I can't function like that it's not good it's not good it's not a good look and I just can't do that but since we're wearing a hat today we threw one on here I'm gonna try to we'll just give our dragon a drink every time too that we hear the word north Anyway, um, quick recap of our chapter last week. We jumped across the narrow sea. We met a girl, Danny, her idiot brother. She was on her way to meet Cal Drogo for the first time. And now we're back in Westeros. So we're just going to jump right in this week. Bottoms up. Or should I say chapters up? Here we go again. Um, if you're reading along with us, grab your book. If you're just listening, Grab a drink, grab a seat. Here we go. We are kicking off with Eddard. The visitors poured through the castle gates in a river of gold and silver and polished steel, 300 strong, a pride of bannermen and knights of sworn swords and free riders. Over their heads, a dozen golden banners whipped back and forth in the northern wind, emblazoned with the crowned stag of Baratheon. Ned knew many of the riders. There came Sir Jamie Lannister with hair as bright as beaten gold, and there Sandor Clegane with his terrible burned face. The tall boy beside him could only be the crown prince, and that stunted little man behind them was surely the imp, Tyrion Lannister. Yet, the huge man at the head of the column, flanked by two knights in the snow-white cloaks of the Kingsguard, seemed almost a stranger to Ned until he vaulted off the back of the war horse with a familiar roar and crushed him in a bone-crunching hug. Ned, ah, it is good to see that frozen face of yours. The king looked him over top to bottom and laughed. You have not changed at all. Would that had Ned been able to say the same? Fifteen years passed when they had ridden forth to win a throne. The lord of the storm's end had been clean-shaven, clear-eyed, and muscled like a maiden's fantasy. Six and a half feet tall, he towered over lesser men, and when he donned his armor and the great antlered helmet of his house, he became a veritable giant. He had a giant strength, too, his weapon of choice, a spiked iron warhammer that Ned could scarcely lift. In those days, the smell of leather and blood had clung to him like perfume. Now it was perfume that clung to him like perfume, and he had a girth to match his height. Ned had last seen the king nine years before during Balon Greyjoy, Greyjoy's rebellion, when the stag and the direwolf had joined to end the pretensions, pretensions of the self-proclaimed king of the Iron Islands. Since that night, they had stood side by side in Greyjoy's fallen stronghold, 
told where Robert had accepted the rebel lord's surrender and Ned had taken his son Theon as hostage and ward. The king had gained at least eight stone. A beard as coarse and black as iron wire covered his jaw to hide his double chin in the sag of the royal jowls, but nothing could hide his stomach or the dark circles under his eyes. I have a lot editing in this one. Yet Robert was Ned's king now, and not just a friend, so he only said, Your Grace, Winterfell is yours. By then the others were dismounting as well, and grooms were coming forward for their mounts. Robert's Queen Cersei Lannister entered on foot with her younger children. The wheelhouse on which they had ridden, a huge double-deck carriage of oiled oak and glided metal pulled by forty heavy draft horses, was too wide to pass through the castle gate. Ned knelt in the snow to kiss the queen's ring while Robert embraced Catelyn like a long-lost sister. Then the children had been brought forward, introduced, and approved of by both sides. No sooner had those formalities and greetings been completed than the king had said to his host, Take me down to your crypt, Eddard. I, I would pay my respects. Ned loved him for that, for remembering her still after all these years. He called for a lantern. No other words were needed. The queen had begun to protest. They had been riding since dawn. Everyone was tired and cold. Surely they could should refresh themselves first. The dead would wait. She had said no more than that. Robert had looked at her, and her twin brother Jamie had taken her quietly by the arm, and she said no more. They went down to the crypt together. Ned and this king, he scarce. Take a drink for that hard stutter. They went down to the crypt together. Ned and this king he scarcely recognized. The winding stepstones were narrow. Ned went first with the lantern. I was starting to think we would never reach Winterfell, Robert complained as they descended. In the south, the way they talk about my seven kingdoms, a man forgets that your part is as big as the other six combined. I trust you enjoyed your journey, your grace? Robert snorted, bogs and forests and fields, and scarcely a decent inn north of the neck. I've never seen a vast emptiness. Where are all your people? Likely they were too shy to come up, Ned dressed He could feel the chill coming up the stairs, a cold breath from deep within the earth. Kings are a rare sight in the north. Take another drink. Robert snorted. More likely they were hiding under the snow. Snow, Ned. The king put one hand on the wall to steady himself as they descended. Late summer snows are common enough, Ned said. I hope they did not trouble you. They usually are mild. The others take your mild snows, Robert swore. What will this place be like in winter? I shudder to think. The winters are hard, Ned admitted, but the Starks will endure. We always have. You need to come south, Robert told him. You need a taste of summer before it flees. In Highgarden, High Garden, there are fields of golden roses that stretch away as far as they can, the eye can see. The fruits are so ripe they explode in your mouth. Melons, peaches, fire plums. You've never tasted such sweetness. You'll see. I brought you some. Even at storm's end, with that good wind off the bay, the days are so hot you can barely move. And you ought to see the towns, Ned. Flowers everywhere. The markets bursting with food. The summer wine so cheap and so good that you can get drunk just breathing the air. Everyone is fat and drunk and rich. He laughed and slapped his own ample stomach with a thumb. And the girls, Ned, he exclaimed in his eyes sparkling. I swear. 
Women lose all modesty in the heat. They swim naked in the river right beneath the castle. Even in the streets, it's too damn hot for wool or fur, so they go around in these short gowns. Silk if they have silver and cotton if not, but it's all the same when they start sweating and the cloth sticks to their skin and they might as well be naked. The king laughed happily. Robert Baratheon always had been a man of huge appetites, a man who knew how to take his pleasures. That was not a charge anyone could lay at the door of Eddard Stark. Yet Ned could not help but notice those that those pleasures were taking a toll on the king. Robert was breathing heavily by the time they reached the bottom of the stairs, his face in a red light as they stepped out into the darkness of the crypt. Your Grace, Ned said respectfully. He swept the lantern in the wide semicircle. Shadows moved and lurched. Flickering light touched the stones underfoot and brushed amongst a long procession of granite pillars that marched ahead two by two into the dark. Between the pillars, the dead sat on the north. The dead sat on their stone thrones against the walls, back against the sculptures, and contained their mortal remains. She is down at the end with Father and Brandon. He led the way between the pillars, and Robert followed wordlessly, shivering in this subterranean chill. It was always cold down there. Their footsteps rang off the stones and echoed in the vault overhead as they walked among the dead of House Stark. The Lords of Winterfell watched them pass. Their likeliness were carved into the stones and sealed the tombs. In long rows they sat, blind eyes staring out into the eternal darkness with, while great stone direwolves curled around their feet. The shifting shadows made the stone figures seem to stir as the living passed by. An ancient custom, an iron long sword, had been laid across the lap of each who had been Lord of Winterfell to keep the vengeful spirits in their crypts. The oldest had long ago rusted away to nothing, leaving only a few red stains where the metal had rusted on stone. Ned wondered if that meant that those ghosts were free to roam the castle now. He'd hope not. The first lords of Winterfell had been men hard as the land they ruled. In the centuries before the dragon lords came over by the sea, they had sworn allegiance to no man styling themselves the king in the north. Ned stopped at last and lifted an oil lantern. The crypt continued onto the darkness ahead of them. But beyond this point, the tombs were empty and unsealed, black holes waiting for their dead, waiting for them and their children. Ned did not like to think on that. Here, he told his king. Robert knighted silently, knelt, and bowed his head. There, there were three tombs side by side. Lord Rickard Stark, Ned's father, had a long, stern face. The stone son had known him well. He sat with quiet dignity, stone fingers holding tight to the sword across his lap. But in life, all swords had failed him. And two small splitters on either side were his children. Brandon had been 20 when he died, strangled by order of the Mad King Aerys Targaryen only a few short days before he was to wed Catelyn Tolley of Riverrun. His father had been forced to watch him die. He was the true heir and eldest born to rule. Lyanna had only been 16, a child woman of surpassing loveliness. Ned had loved her with all his heart. Robert had loved her even more. She was to have been his bride. She was more beautiful than that, the king said after silence. His eyes lingered on Lyanna's face as if he could will her back to life. Finally, he rose, made awkward by his weight. Ah, oh, damn it, Ned. Did you have to bury her in a place like this? His voice was hoarse with remembered grief. She deserved more than darkness. She was a Stark of Winterfell, Ned said quietly. This is her place. She should be on a hill somewhere under a fruit tree with the sun and clouds above her and rain to wash her clean. I was with her when she died, Ned reminded the king. 
She wanted to come home, rest beside Brandon and father. He could hear her, he could hear her still at times. Promise me, she had cried in a room that smelled of blood and roses. Promise me then. The fever had taken the strength in her voice and it had been faint as a whisper. But when she gave, when he gave her his word, the fear had gone out of his sister's eyes. Ned remembered the way she had smiled then. How tightly her fingers had been clutched to his as she gave up on her hold to life, those rose petals spilling her from her palm, dead and black. After that, he remembered nothing. They had found him still holding her body, silent with grief. The little crayon man, Helen Reed had taken her hand from his. Ned could recall none of it. I bring her flowers when I can, he said. Liana was fond of flowers. The king touched her cheek, his fingers brushing across the rough stone as gently as if it were living flesh. I vowed to kill Rhaegar for what he did to her. You did, Ned reminded him. Only once, Robert said bitterly. They had come together at the ford of the trident while the battle crashed around them. Robert with his warhammer and his great antlered helm, the Targaryen prince armored all in black. Once his breastplate was three was once his on his breastplate was the three-headed dragon of his house, wrought in all rubies that flashed like the fire in the sunlight. The waters of the trident ran red around the hooves of their destriers as they circled and clashed again and again, until at last a crushing blow from Robert's hammer stove in the dragon and chest beneath it. When Ned had finally come on the scene, Rhaegar lay dead in the stream while men of both armies scrambled in the swirling waters for rubies knocked free of his armor. In my dreams, I kill him every night, Robert admitted. A thousand deaths would still be less than he deserves. There was nothing Ned could say to that. After a quiet while, he said, We should return your grace. Your wife will be raiding. The others take my wife, Robert muttered sourly, but he started back the way they'd come, his footsteps falling heavily. And if I hear, your grace, one more, once more, I'll have your head on a spike. We are more to each other than that. I had not forgotten, Ned replied quietly. When the king did not answer, he said, tell me about John. Robert shook his head. I've never seen a man sicken so quickly. We have attorney. We gave attorney on my son's name day. If you had seen John, then you would have sworn he would live forever. A fortnight later, he was dead. The sickness was like a fire in his gut. It burned right through him. He paused. Beside a pillar before the tomb of a long dead Stark. I loved that old man. We both did. Ned paused a moment. Catelyn fears for her sister. How did Liza bear her grief? Robert's mouth gave a bitter twist. Not well, in truth, he admitted. I think losing John was driven the woman mad, Ned. She has taken the boy back to the Eyrie. Against my wishes, I had hoped to foster him with with Tywin Lannister at Casterly Rock. John had no brothers, no other sons. Was I supposed to leave him to be raised by woman? Ned would sooner entrust a child to Pipe Viper than to Lord Tywin, but he left his doubts unspoken. Some old wounds never truly heal and bleed again at the slightest word. The wife has lost the husband, he said carefully. Perhaps the mother feared to lose her son. The boy is very young. Six and sickly, the Lord of the Eyrie, gods have mercy, the king swore. Lord Tywin had never taken a word before. Liza ought to have been honored. The Lannisters are a great and noble house. She refused to even hear of it. Then she left in dead of the night without so much as a by your leave. Cersei was furious. He sighed deeply. The boy was my namesake. Did you know that, Robert? Robert Aaron. I am sworn to protect him. How can I do that if his mother steals him away? 
I will take him as a ward if you wish, Ned said. Liza should consent to that. She and Catelyn were close as girls, and she would be welcome here as well. A generous offer, my friend, the king said, but too late. Lord Tywin has already given his consent. Fostering the boy elsewhere would be a grievous affront to him. I have more concern, concern for my nephew's welfare than I do for the Lannister's pride, Ned declared. That is because you do not sleep with the Lannister, Robert laughed, the sound rattling among the tombs and bouncing the vaulted ceilings. His smile was a flash of white teeth in the thicket of a huge black beard. Ah, oh, Ned, he said. You're still too serious. He put a massive arm around Ned's shoulders. I had planned to wait a few days to speak to you, but I see now there's no need for it. Come, walk with me. They stared back down between the pillars. Blind stone eyes seemed to follow them as they passed. The king kept his arms around Ned's shoulder. You must have wondered why I finally came north to Winterfell after so long. Ned had his suspicions, but he did not give them voice. For joy of the company, surely, he said lightly. And there is the wall. You need to see it, your grace, to walk along the battlements and talk to those who man it. The night's watch is a shadow foot it once was. Benjamin says, no doubt. I will hear what your brother says soon enough, Robert said. The wall has stood for what? 8,000 years? It can keep a few more days. I have more pressing concerns. These are difficult times. I need good men about me. Men like John Aaron. He served as Lord of the Erie and Warden of the East and Hand of the King. He will not be easy to replace. His son, Ned began. His son will succeed to the Erie and all its incomes, Robert said brusquely. No more. That took Ned by surprise. He stopped, startled, and turned to look at his king. The words came unbidden. The errands have always been wardens of the east. The title goes with the domain. Perhaps, when he comes of age, the honor can be restored to him, Robert said. I have this year to think of and next. A six-year-old boy is no war leader, Ned. In peace, the title is only an honor. Let the boy keep it, for his father's sake if not for his own. Surely you owed John that much for his service. The king was not pleased. He took his arm from around Ned's shoulder. John's service was the duty he owed his liege lord. Liege lord. I am not ungrateful, Ned. You of all men ought to know that. But the son is not a father. Is not the father. A mere boy cannot hold the east. Then his tone softened. Enough of this. There is more important office to discuss, and I would not argue with you, Robert Grass, Ned by the elbow. I have need of you, Ned. I am yours to command, your grace, always. They were words he had to say, so he said them, apprehensive about what might come next. Robert scarcely seemed to hear him. Those years we spent in the Erie. Gods, those were the good years. I want you by my side at my side again, Ned. I want you down in King's Landing, not up here at the end of the world where you no damned use where you are no damned use to anybody. Robert looked off into the darkness for a moment, as melancholy as a stark. I swear to you, sitting on a throne is a thousand times harder than winning one. Laws are tedious business and counting coppers is worse. And the people there's no end of them. I sit on that damnable iron chair and listen to them complain until my hand my mind is numb and my ass is raw they all want something money or land or justice the lies they tell and my lords and the ladies are no better i am surrounded by flatterers and fools it can drive a man to madness ned half of them don't dare tell me the truth and the other half can't find it there are nights i wish we had lost the trident Ah, oh, no, not truly, but... I understand, Ned said softly. Robert looked at him. I think you do. If so, you're the only one, my old friend. He smiled. Lord Eddard Stark, I would name you the Hound of the King. Ned dropped to one knee. The offer did not surprise him. What other reason could Robert have had for coming so far? The Hand of the King was the second most powerful man of the Seven Kingdoms. He spoke with the king's voice, commanded the king's armies, drafted the king's laws. 
At times he even sat upon the iron throne to dispense the king's justice when the king was absent or sick or otherwise indisposed. Robert was offering him a responsibility as large as the realm itself. It was the last thing in the world he wanted. Your grace, he said, I am not worthy of the honor. Robert groaned with good-humored impatience. If I wanted to honor you, I'd let you retire. I'm planning to make you run the kingdom and fight the wars, wars while I eat and drink and winch myself into an early grave. He slapped his gut and grinned. You know the saying about the king in his hand. Ned knew the saying. What the king dreams, he said, the hand builds. I betted a fish man once he told me the lowborn have a choicier way to put it. The king eats, they say, and the hand takes the shit. He threw his head back and roared his laughter. The echoes ring through the dark, the darkness all around them, and the dead of Winterfell seem to watch with cold and disproving eyes. Finally, the laughter dwindled and stopped. Ned was still on one knee, his eyes upraised. Damn it, Ned, the king complained. You might at least humor me with a smile. They say it grows so cold up here in winter that a man's laughter freezes in his throat and chokes him to death, Ned said evenly. Perhaps that's why the Starks have so little humor. Come south with me, and I'll teach you how to laugh again, the king promised. You help me win this damnable, damnable throne. Now help me hold it. We were meant to rule together. If Lyanna had lived where she would have been brother, we would have been brothers, bound by blood as well as affection. Well, it is not too late. I have a son, you have a daughter. My drop and your Sansa shall join our houses as Lyanna and I might once have done. This offer did surprise him. Sansa is only 11. Robert waved an impatient hand, old enough for betrothal. The marriage can wait a few years, the king smiled. Now stand up and say yes, curse you. Nothing would give me greater pleasure, your grace, Ned answered. He hesitated. These honors are all so unexpected. May I have some time to consider? I need to tell my wife. Yes, yes, of course, tell Catelyn, sleep on it if you must. The king reached down, clasped Ned by the hand and pulled him roughly to his feet. Just don't keep me waiting too long. I am not the most patient of men. For a moment, Eddard Stark was filled with a terrible sense of foreboding. This was his place, here in the north. He looked at the stone figures all around them, breath deep in the chill, silence of the crypt. He could feel the eyes of the dead. They were all listening. He knew, and winter was coming can do our drinks because we had the north like three times there it's a social hour so a drink for a little draggy drag here winter is coming but winter is here in Iowa on to chapter two with Jon Snow you know nothing Jon Snow one more social for good measure Don't sleep on Costco, you guys. That Costco captain's just as good. That'll do me. If you know, you know. And I've readjusted, so you may see my little Wizard of Oz pillow here, but you gotta stay warm and cozy and protect our backs. So, without further ado, just join. There were times, not many, but a few, when Jon Snow was glad he was a bastard. As he filled his wine cup once more from a passing flagon, it struck him in the, that this might be one of them. He settled back in the place of the bench among the youngest squires and drank. The sweet, fruity taste of summer wine filled his mouth and brought a smile to his lips. The Great Hall of Winterfell was hazy with smoke and heavy with the smell of roasted meat and fresh-baked bread. Its greystone walls were draped with banners, white, gold, and crimson. The direwolf, the direwolf of Stark, Baratheon, Kronstadt, the Lion of Lannister. 
A singer was playing the high harp and reciting a ballad, but down at this end of the hall, his voice could scarcely be heard above the roar of the fire. The clangor of pewter plates and cups and the low mutter of a hundred drunken conversations. It was the fourth hour of the welcoming feast laid for the king. John's brothers and John's brothers and sisters had been seated with the royal children beneath the raised platform where Lord and Lady Stark hosted king and queen. In honor of the occasion, his lord father would doubtless permit each child a glass of wine, but no more than that. Down here on the benches, there was no one to stop John drinking as much as he had a thirst for. And I'm still practicing those accents. That was a mix of, I don't know, it sounded like 18 different places. And he was finding that a man's thirst to the racist delight of the youths around him who urged him on every time he drank a glass. They were fine company, and John relished the stories they were telling, tales of battle and betting in the hunt. He was certain that his companions were more entertaining than the king's offspring. He had, he had sated his curiosity about the visitors when they made their entrance. The procession had passed on a foot from the place he had been given on the bench, and John had gotten a good long look at them all. His lord father had come first, escorting the queen. She was as beautiful as men said. A jeweled tiara gleamed amidst her long golden hair, its emeralds a perfect match for the green of her eyes. His father helped her up the steps to the dais and led her to her seat, but the queen never so much looked at him. Even at fourteen, John could see through her smile. Ned had come Next had come King Robert himself with Lady Stark on his arm. The king was a great disappointment to John. His father had talked of him often. The peerless Robert Baratheon, demon of the trident, the fiercest warrior of their realm, a giant among princes. John saw only a fat man, red-faced under his beard, sweating through his silks. He walked like a man half in his cups. After them came the children. Little Rickon first, managing the long walk with all the dignity a three-year-old could muster. John had to urge him on when he stopped to visit. Close behind came Rob in gray wool trimmed with white, the stark colors. He had the Princess Marcella, Mar Marcella on his arms. She was a wisp of a girl, not quite eight. Her hair had cascade of uh, her hair, a cascade of golden curls under a jeweled net. John noticed the shy look she gave Rob as they passed between the tables and the timid way she smiled at him. He decided she was insipid. Rob didn't have the sense to realize how stupid he was. He was grinning like a fool. His half-sisters escorted the royal princess. Arya was paired with plump young Tommen, whose white blonde hair was longer than hers. Sansa, two years older, drew the crown prince Joffrey Baratheon. He was twelve years he was twelve, younger than John and Rob, but taller than either, to John's vast dismay. Prince Joffrey had his sister's hair and his mother's deep green eyes. A thick tingle of blonde curls dripped down past his golden choker and high velvet collar. Sansa looked radiant as she walked beside him, but John did not look like Joffrey's pouty lips or bored. But John did not like Joffrey's pouty lips or the bored, disdainful way he looked at Winterfell's great hall. He was more interested in the pair that came behind him, the Queen's brothers, the Lannisters of Casterly Rock, the Lion and the Imp. There was no mistaking which was which. Sir Jamie Lannister was twin to Queen Cersei, tall and golden with flashing green eyes and a smile that cut like a knife. He wore crimson silk, high black boots, a black satin cloak. On the breast of his tunic, the lion in the house was embroidered in gold thread, roaring its defiance. They called him the Lion of the Lannister to his face and whispered Kingslayer behind his back. John found it hard to look away from him. This is what a king should look like, he thought to himself as the man passed. Then he saw the other one. 
waddling along half hidden by his brother's side. Tyrion Lannister, the youngest of Lord Tywin's brood and by far the ugliest. All that the gods have given to Cersei and Jaime, they had denied Tyrion. He was a dwarf, his half, half his brother's height, struggling to keep pace on stunted legs. His head was too large for his body with a brute squashed in face beneath a swollen shelf of brow. One green, one green eye and one black, one peered out from under a link fall of hair, so blonde it seemed white. John watched him with fascination. The last of the High Lords to enter were his uncle Benjamin Stark of the Night's Watch and his father's ward, young Theon Greyjoy. Benjamin gave John a warm smile as he went by. Theon ignored him utterly, but there was nothing new in that. After all, he had been seated, after all had been seated, toasts were made, thanks were given, and returned, and then the feasting began. John had started drinking then, and he had not stopped. Something rubbed against his leg beneath the table. John saw red eyes staring up at him. Hungry again? he asked. There was still half a honey chicken in the center of the table. John reached out to tear a leg and then had a better idea. He knifed the bird hole and let the carcass slide to the floor between his legs. Ghost ripped into it in savage silence. His brothers and sisters had not been permitted to bring their wolves to the banquet, but there were more curs than John could count at the end of the hall, and no one had said a word about his pup. He told himself he was fortunate in that too. His eyes stung. John rubbed at them savagely, cursing the smoke. He swallowed another gulp of wine and watched his dire wolf devour the chicken. Dogs moved between the tables, trailing after the serving girls. One of them, a black mongrel bitch with the long yellow eyes, caught a scent of the chicken. She stopped and edged under the bench to get a share. John watched the confrontation. The bitch growled low in her throat and moved closer. Ghost looked up, silent, and fixed the dog with those hot red eyes. The bitch snapped an angry challenge. She was three times the size of the dire wolf, dire wolf pup. Ghost did not move. He stood over his prize and opened his mouth, barging his fangs. The bitch tensed, barked again, and then thought better of this fight. She turned and slunk away with one last defiant snap to save her pride. Ghost went back to his meal. John grinned and reached under the table to ruffle the shaggy white fur. The dire wolf looked up at him, nipped gently at his hand, then went back to eating. Is this one of the direwolves I've heard so much of? A familiar voice asked close at hand. John looked up happily as his uncle Ben put a hand on his head and ruffled his hair as much as John had ruffled the wolves. Yes, he said, his name is Ghost. One of the squires interrupted the body story he'd been telling to make room at the table for their lord's brother. Benjamin Stark straddled the bench with long legs and took the wine cup out of John's hand. Summer wine, he said after a taste. Nothing so sweet. How many cups have you had, John? John smiled. Ben laughed, as I feared. Ah, well, I believe when I was younger than you, the first time I truly got sincerely drunk. He snagged a roasted onion, dripping brown with gravy from a nearby trencher and bit into it. It crunched. His uncle was sharp-featured with gaunt and gaunt as a mountain. Some of the phrases in here are just very, very hard for me to say. They're like tongue twisters. His uncle was sharp-feathered and gaunt as a mountain crag, but there was always a hint of laughter in his blue-gray eyes. He dressed in black as befitted a man of the night's watch. Tonight, it was rich black velvet with high leather boots and wide belt and silver buckle. A heavy silver chain was looped around his neck. Benjamin watched ghosts with amusement as he ate his onion. A very quiet wolf, he observed. He's not like the others, John said. He never makes a sound. That's why I named him Ghost. That and because he's white. The others are all dark, gray, or black. There are still dire wolves beyond the wall. We hear them on our ringlands. Benjamin Stark gave Donna one look. 
Don't you usually eat at the table with your brothers? Most times, John answered in a flat voice. But tonight, Lady Stark thought it might in give insult to the royal family to see a bastard among them. I see. His uncle glanced over his shoulder at the raised table at the far end of the hall. My brother does not seem very festive tonight. John had noticed that too. A bastard had to learn to notice things, to read the truth that people hid behind their eyes. His father was observing all the courtesies, but there was tightness in him that John had seldom seen before. He said little, looking out over the hall with hooded eyes, seeing nothing. Two seats away, the king had been drinking heavily all night. His brood face was flushed behind his great black beard, and he made many a toast, laughed loudly at every dress, and attacked each dish like a starving man. But beside him, the queen seemed as cold as an ice sculpture. The queen is angry too, John told his uncle in a low, quiet voice. Father took the king down to the crypts this afternoon. The queen did not want him to go. Benjamin gave John a careful measuring look. You don't miss much, do you, John? We could use a man like you on the wall. John swelled with pride. Rob is a stronger lance than I am, but I'm better, but I'm the better sword. And Holland says I sit on a horse as well as anyone in the castle. Notable achievement. Take me with you when you go back to the wall, John said in a sudden rush. Father will give me leave to go if you ask him. I know he will. Quick social. Uncle Benjamin studied his face carefully. The wall is a hard place for a boy, John. I am almost a grown man, John protested. I will turn 15 on my next name day. And Maester Lewin says bastards grow up faster than other children. That's true enough, Benjamin said with a downward twist of his mouth. He took John's cup from the table, filled it fresh from a nearby pitcher, and drank down a long swallow. Darian Targaryen was only 14 when he conquered Dorne, John said. The young dragon was one of his heroes. A conquest that lasted a summer, his uncle pointed out. Your boy king lost 10,000 men taking the place and another 50 trying to hold it. Someone should have told him that war isn't a game. He took another sip of wine. Also, he said, wiping his mouth, Darren Targaryen was only 18 when he died. Or have you forgotten that part? I forget nothing, <laughs> John boasted. <laughs> the wine was making him bold. He tried to sit very straight to make himself seem taller. I want to serve in the night's watch, uncle. <laughs> he had thought on it long and hard, lying in bed at night while his brother slept around him. Rob would someday inherit Winterfell, would command great armies as a warden of the north. Brandon Brickon would be Rob's bannerman and rule Holdfast in his name. His sisters Arya and Sansa would marry the heirs of the other great houses and go south as mistress of the castle of their own. But what place could a bastard hope to earn? You don't know what you're asking, John. The Night's Watch is one brotherhood. We have no families. None of us will ever have sons. A wife or our wife is duty. Our mistress is honor. A bastard can have honor too. John said, I am ready to swear your oath. You are a boy, a fourteen, Benjamin said. Not a man, not yet. Until you have known a woman, you cannot understand what you would be giving up. I don't care about that, John said hotly. You might if you knew what it meant, Benjamin said. If you knew what the oath would cost you, you might be less eager to pay the price, son. John felt anger rises at him. I am not your son. <laughs> I don't know why it's going Irish. Apparently they're, they were sitting in Ireland right now. <laughs> Benjamin Stark stood up. Most pity. He put a hand on John's shoulder. Come back to me after you fathered a few bastards of your own and we'll see how you feel. John trembled. I will never father a bastard he said carefully never he spat that out like venom 
Suddenly, he realized that the table had fallen silent and they were all looking at him. He felt the tears begin to well behind his eyes. He pushed himself to his feet. I must be excused, he said with the last of his dignity. He whirled and bolted before they could see him cry. That's me. He must have drank more wine than they had realized. His feet got tangled under him as he tried to leave and as he lurched sideways into a serving girl and sent a flagon of spiced wine crashing to the floor. Laughter boomed all around him and John felt hot tears on his cheeks. Someone tried to steady him. He wrenched free of their grip and ran, half blind for the door. Ghosts followed close at his heels out into the night. The yard was quiet and empty. A lone sentry stood on the high battlements of inner wall, his cloak pulled tight around him against the cold. He looked bored and miserable as he huddled alone there, but John would have traded places with him in an instant. Otherwise, the castle was dark and deserted. John had seen the abandoned Holdfast once, a dear, drear place where nothing moved but the wind and the stones kept silent about whatever people had lived there. Winterfell reminded him of that tonight. The sounds of music and songs fell through the open windows behind him, and they were the last things John wanted to hear. He wiped away his tears on the sleeves of his shirt, furious that he had let them fall and turned to go. Boy, a voice called out to him. John turned. Tyrion Lannister was sitting on the ledge above the door to the great hall, looking for the world, looking, looking for all the world like a gargoyle. The dwarf grinned down at him. Is that animal a wolf? A dire wolf, John said. His name is Ghost. He stared up at the little man, his disappointment suddenly forgotten. What are you doing up there? Why aren't you at the feast? Too hot, too noisy, and I drink too much wine, the dwarf told him. I learned long ago that it is considered rude to vomit on your brother. Might I have a closer look at your wolf? John hesitated, then nodded slowly. Can you climb down, or shall I bring a ladder? Oh, bleed that, the little man said. He pushed himself off the ledge into empty air. John gasped and watched with awe as Tyrion Lannister spun around in a tight ball, landed lightly on his hands, and vaulted backwards onto his legs. Ghost backed away from him uncertainly. The dwarf dusted himself off and laughed. I believe I frightened your wolf. My apologies. He's not scared, John said. He knelt and called out, Ghost, come here. Come on. That's it. The wolf pup padded closer and nuzzled out John's face, but he kept a wary eye on Tyron Lannister, and when the dwarf reached out to pet him, he drew back the bared and bared his fangs in a silent snarl. Shy isn't he, Lannister observed. Such ghost, come on. That's it. Keep still. He looked up at the dwarf. You can touch him now. He won't move until I tell him to. I've been training him. I see, Lannister said. He ruffled the snow-white fur between his between ghost ears and said, nice wolf. If I wasn't here, he'd tear your throat out, John said. It wasn't actually true yet, but it would be. In that case, you best stay close, the dwarf said. He cocked his oversized head to one side and looked drawn o over with his mismatched eyes. I am Tyrion Lannister. I know, John said. He rose, standing. He was taller than the dwarf. It made him feel strange. You're Ned Stark's bastard, aren't you? John felt coldness pass right through him. He pressed his lips together and said nothing. Did I offend you? Lannister said. Sorry, dwarfs don't have to be tactful. Generations of capering fools mostly have won me right to dress badly and say any damn thing that comes into my head. He grinned. You are a bastard, though. Lord Eddard Stark is my father, Jen and John admitted stiffly. Lannister studied his face. Yes, he said, I can see it. You have more of the North in you than your brothers. Half-brothers, John corrected. He was pleased by the dwarf's comment, but he tried not to let it show. Let me give you some counsel, bastard, Lannister said. Never forget who you are, for surely the world will not. 
make it your strength and then it can be never be your weakness armor yourself in it and it will never be used to hurt you john was in no mood for anyone's counsel what do you know about being a bastard all dwarfs are bastards in their father's eyes you are your mother's trueborn son of a lannister am i the dwarf replied sardonic do you tell my lord father my mother died birthing me and he's never forgiven and he's never been sure I don't know who my mother was, John said. Some woman, no doubt, most of them are. He favored John with a rueful grin. Remember this, boy, all dwarfs may be bastards, yet not all bastards need to be dwarfs. And with that, he turned and sauntered back into the feast, whistling a tune. When he opened the door, the light from within threw his shadow across the yard, and for a moment, Tyrion Lannister stood as tall as a king. Okay, those are going to be our two chapters for the week. Um, I promise I'm going to keep working on those accents. I need to start the show over again and just like get their voices in my head because when I hear something, I'm pretty good at repeating it, but just going off of like nothing, I'm clearly not good. As you can tell, I was making myself cackle. Um, Next week, we'll be back with uh, one or two. We'll just kind of see how it flows. we did have a North Throne in there, so one last social. Dragon for the go. Again, um, one thing to just kind of remember and keep in mind is the characters' ages. They're just so little in the book. Um, Tyrion Lannister is one of my favorite characters in the show. That's partly just due to Peter Dinklage, who's just, like, the most phenomenal actor. Like, I could listen to his monologues on repeat every day and never be tired of it. So I'm really interested to see if he ends up being one of my favorite characters in the book, too, because I know, like, there's a little bit differences there, especially with his look in the book versus the show. But he, I think he was already pretty funny in this one. So um, if you haven't already, subscribe, download, follow, share. Um, even if you don't listen, give it a follow and a download review because that helps um, just boost and get it on a wider network for people. So thanks for joining me this week. Stay safe. Have a great weekend and let's get litty. Oh my gosh, you guys, we figured out a new thing. Oh shit, we figured out fireworks this time. <laughs> okay, so we are three for four episodes now, figuring out a new Zoom feature uh, because of doing some random movement. So for real this time, have a good weekend and let's stay litty. Woo!